Jim. The Adventures of Jungle Jim broadcast weekly over this station are dramatized from the full-color action pictures to be found in the Comic Weekly, the world's greatest comic supplement that comes to you each week with your Hearst Sunday newspaper. Join the 11 million adults and 6 million youngsters who make their weekends more enjoyable reading the world's greatest comic and adventure pictures by the world's best artists featured in every issue of the Comic Weekly. Insist on the Sunday newspaper that brings you the Comic Weekly. While their friends, stunned over their loss, organized searching parties to comb the lonely mid-Pacific in a final effort to find them alive, Jungle Jim and Kitty St. John, after a fierce battle with the seas, reach the shore of a small, lonely island. There they find food and fresh water. Jim, not wishing to alarm Kitty, does not tell her that their rescue from the remote, uninhabited island is well-nigh hopeless. Kitty, after a rest, goes looking for Jim and finally locates him on a rather high rocky point piling up driftwood, dead timber, and broken branches. So, this is what you've been doing. What are you building up that great pile of wood for? Going to build a monument to mark the spot we landed after our battle with the sea? No, Kitty, I picked this spot because it's about the highest point on the island. I'm building a big signal fire so that if by chance we sight a steamer on the horizon one of these days, we can rush up here... Light the fire and the steamer, seeing the smoke and flames, will put in and pick us up. Thank you for that very lucid explanation, Jim. But would it be unkind of me to remind you we have no matches? Well, it's easy to see that you never joined the girl guides or the campfire girls, so you know we don't need matches. Oh, now I know where I've seen you before. You're one of the rover boys who always comes to the rescue and starts a fire by the simple process of rubbing two sticks together. And as soon as I get off this brush pile, I'll show you the correct method of starting a fire without rubbing two sticks together, Kitty. <laughs> Very well. You demonstrate your magic fire act, and I'll surprise you by cooking the dinner. Don't tell me you know how to cook. Well, I'll admit I've never had any actual experience beyond toasting a marshmallow. <laughs> but I've watched cooks enough to know how to do it. Okay, that's all I want to know. Look out below. I'm coming down over this brush pile. <laughs> there. That job is finished. I will surely throw up a pile of smoke and flame once it gets started. It will be visible for miles, Kitty. Let's hope we'll have cause to light it very soon. Why? What's all the hurry? Oh, I'm just beginning to enjoy the novelty of this situation. I think I'm going to like this Robinson Crusoe adventure, and I don't want to be snatched away just when things will be getting interesting. Don't talk foolishly, Kitty. The novelty will wear off in a day, and you'll soon get sick of this makeshift living. And the monotony of having nothing to do will become very boresome. Oh, but come on now. I want to show you the sight of your new home. You don't seem to understand, Jim, that that highly civilized, soft, sheltered life I've always led is a thing that became oppressive and boresome. So it hasn't taken me long to realize that this is the kind of a life I need to bring out the best in me. Oh, come now, Kitty. You talk like one of those heroines in a modern novel. All right. Go off if you want to, but I'm serious. You're going to wake up to the fact that I've changed for the better. I know I'm ignorant of all the essentials to survive in this primitive form of living, but I'm going to learn, and you'll find me a very apt pupil... I'll be so darn busy learning things to do, I won't have time to get bored. Okay, okay, I'll take your word for it now. But we'll see what the future brings. There'll be plenty for you to do. And I'll give you lots of practical lessons in the art of primitive living. <laughs> well, here we are, Kitty. This is where we're going to set up housekeeping. It's perfect. Nice and sheltered. 
Oh, you certainly have been busy gathering up supplies. I suppose all that lumber and vines and palm leaves are your building supplies. That's the idea. Temporary quarters will consist of a one-story lean-to with thatched roof and open front for sleeping purposes. And over there is your kitchen. Splendid. Why, you even began to build a stone fireplace. Began? Say, that is the finished product. And now I'll give you your first lesson in starting a fire. All right, but I would like to know just what we're going to cook when the fire's ready. Fish. Broiled, milady. And when are you going to catch the said fish? I attended to that little matter while you were asleep. You will find the fish all cleaned and ready to cook. Oh. And there's a nice fresh water spring just over there in that pile of rocks. And I've hollowed out a nice place in the rocks where you can keep things fresh and cool. You'll find the fish, some breadfruit, coconuts, all stocked, ready for use. You're my idea of what my grandmother used to say every girl should marry, a good provider. Uh, thank you. <laughs> and now, Kitty, just sit down here beside me, and I'll show you how to start a fire. First, I put this block of very dry wood. See? It's almost pulp. Mm -hmm. Now, the straight stick will be used as a spindle to bore into the dry pulp. Now, I take this bow, made just like a bow to shoot arrows with. I loop the bowstring tightly around the center of the spindle. I take this heavy stone to weigh down the spindle. Now then, see this. The bow revolves the spindle in the wood block. The friction ignites the dry wood pulp. Now watch. There, see? Now it's beginning to smoke a bit. Let's keep it up as long, huh? Now it's smoldering. Here we go. Now, now you blow on it. That's it. Now... Add these shavings and bits of dry kindling. That's it. And there's your fire. It's wonderful. Shall I put on more sticks now? Yes, but do it like this. Build them up in a cone shape so there's a good draft. Okay, Kitty. There's your fire. <laughs> Soon you'll have a good hot bed of coals and you can broil the fish. What will I use to cook them in? In lieu of a full line of copper utensils, uh, use these long green sticks. Stick the fish on this end and revolve slowly. Thanks for all the help, Jim. Okay. I'm going up and work on the lean-to now. Call me when dinner is ready. All right, I will. <coughs> hey, hey, what's going on here? Boy, Kitty, what's the matter? Looks as though you're having a little trouble. <laughs> it's, it's the stand fire. <laughs> the smoke gets in my eyes and I can't... Then I keep dropping the fish in the fire. <laughs> I'm afraid I've spoiled two pieces already. Okay, Kitty. Here we go for lesson number two. Oh. Always stay on the windward side of the fire so that the wind blows the smoke away from you instead of into your eyes and nose and mouth. <laughs> then take two fork branches like this. Shove them into the ground. Stick the stick right through the fish like a meat skewer. Then rest it between the fork branches above the fire, Kitty. Above the fire like this, see? Then you don't have to hold it. Just turn it around once in a while so that it browns gradually. Oh, Jim, how can you be so patient with anyone so stupid? No, you're not stupid. You'll learn all right. But it all takes time, Kitty. And that's one thing we'll have plenty of from now on. So while Kitty struggles gamely to master the elements of primitive outdoor life under Jim's excellent instruction on the remote, uninhabited island, four people are earnestly discussing their supposed fate in far-off Singapore. 
Tony Lowry and his friend Malcolm Durham have flown into Singapore in Durham's seaplane and have met Lil and the Chinese ship owner, Mr. Wang, in Lil's hotel suite. Now that we all know each other, suppose we get right down to the reason for your trip up here, Tony. Well, Lil, you know how fond I became of Jim during our all-too-brief but very hectic association. Yes, I know. That, plus the fact that I felt responsible for Kitty St. John's idiotic conduct and thrusting her unwelcome attentions on Jim. Un unwelcome attentions, Tony. Are you sure of that? As sure as I am of sitting here talking to you. Oh. Oh, Jim was polite and considerate to Kitty because of his friendship for me. But let me assure you, once and for all, Jim had absolutely no feeling for Kitty beyond that. Kitty is absolutely responsible for everything that's happened. Why, she stowed away on the Manila Merchant. And neither Jim, myself, or anyone else concerned knew she was on the boat until it was well at sea. Well, I've made some pretty bad mistakes in my life. But I realize now that they all fade in complete insignificance compared to the mistake I made when I lost my head and ran out on Jim. Was this what you came to tell me, Tony? No. No, but feeling responsible for what happened, I did my best to make up for it by calling Malcolm Durham by radio, and he consented to fly over to Nahir and pick me up the morning after Jim was reported missing. We flew over the entire area of the course, followed by the Manila merchant. We even flew over a number of reefs and surveyed a small island. Then flew back over the course again to make sure that we hadn't missed anything. But the only thing we sighted was a big length of spar. Nothing else. So there was nothing to do but concede to defeat and face the facts. Jungle Jim was lost to the world. Oh, Mr. Lowry, you do not by any chance think that there may be some possibility of your having missed Mr. Bradley and their unfortunate young woman. After all, two people in such a broad expanse of water might easily have been missed. I would say no, Mr. Wang. Both Tony and I kept a constant watch, and Tony used a good set of powerful binoculars. The mere fact that we were able to sight that broken spar proves we were covering the spot pretty thoroughly. Yes, I suppose you are right. Then you think that my plan of rerouting my ships and continuing the search is a noble but futile gesture. As you know, Mr. Wang, visibility is far greater flying above the water at low altitudes than it is from the crow's nest or the bridge of a steamer. Yes. Then there's the time element to consider. Remember, we flew over the entire area less than 12 hours after Jim and Miss St. John were lost. Well, Mr. Vril, what do you say to all this? I think the decision rests with you. Call off the search, Mr. Wang. I bow to the will of fate. Jungle Jim is dead. <laughs> If by some magic means of telepathy, Jungle Jim could have overheard those words, he might have been tempted to answer in the words of the immortal Mark Twain. The reports of my death are grossly exaggerated. But now that Mr. Wang, with Lil's acquiescence, calls off the search for Jim, his chances of rescue grow very remote indeed. But don't miss the next exciting episode in the adventures of Jungle Jim. Remember, you can follow these adventures in the full-color action pictures to be found in the Comic Weekly the world's greatest comic supplement containing the best full-color adventure and comic pictures. Remember, no other comic supplement can give you the top names of Cartoonland like the all-star favorites to be found in the Comic Weekly. The whole family follow the fun and frolics of Jiggs and Maggie, the Little King, the immortal Donald Duck, as well as the exciting adventures of Flash Gordon and Jungle Jim. 
Join the 11 million adults and 6 million youngsters who every week find the greatest of home entertainment in the Comic Weekly, which comes to you with your Hearst Sunday newspaper. More thrilling radio adventures of Jungle Jim will be heard at the same time next week over the same station. Be sure to tune in.